Welcome to Everybody Hates Me, Let's Talk About Stigma, a podcast hosted by Dr. Carmen Logie. She is the Canada Research Chair in Global Health Equity and Social Justice with Marginalized Populations and an Associate Professor at the University of Toronto's Factor in Wintosh Faculty of Social Work. This show features amazing speakers from around the world talking about stigma from research, lived experiences, and activism perspectives. Why should we care about stigma? What can we do about it? This podcast is recorded on the traditional territory of many nations, including the Haudenosaunee, Anishinaabewaki, and the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. This land is covered by Treaty 13, signed with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Thank you for tuning in. Let's start the show. Listeners, I am beyond excited today to introduce to you Jessica Lynn Wetbread. She works in the realm of social practice and community art, merging art and activism to engage a diversity of audiences in critical dialogue. She uses her own experience as a queer woman living with HIV as a primary site of her work. In her head, the entire world is a pantless tea party full of awkward yet playful interactions that challenge heteronormative and mainstream assumptions about bodies, sexuality, and desire. She has done so many amazing projects, including No Pants, No Problem, Tea Time, and Poster Virus, AIDS Action Now. She was the youngest and first queer woman to be elected as the global chair for the International Community of Women Living with HIV, or ICW, the founder of the first international chapter of young women, adolescents, and girls living with HIV, as well as a longstanding steering committee member for AIDS Action Now, a board member of the Canadian HIV Legal Network. I could literally read her bio for the next hour. So instead of that, I'm just going to introduce <laughs> you. Hi, Jessica. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. I have been asking you for a year to come on the podcast. So I am so excited you're here. <laughs> I'm I'm mostly excited that our time zones lined up finally. <laughs> so, okay, what I usually do, and I've been thinking about this, what I usually do with the podcast is I say, if I've met you, which I have been so pleased to have met you, not nearly as much as I wish that I was spending time with you, but I'm trying to remember when I first met you and I cannot. I just don't. I feel like I've always known you, but I don't know when we first officially met. I don't know if you have a memory, but we know each other. I don't know. You definitely had dreads. Yes. They were very yes. long. So it was beyond seven years ago. <laughs> it's before your wedding. So I think it was like somewhere maybe between 2006 when I started working with Women's Health, Women's Hands, maybe probably 2006, mm. 2007. I came to one of your parties. You had this wonderful party. A no pants party. No, it was like HIV anniversary party. <gasps> My 10 year anniversary. So we met at least 10 years ago because it was just the 20th, my 20th anniversary on January 4th. So I've known you then at least 10 years. Yeah. Probably more if you invited me. We must have met before. <laughs> I wasn't I like, I met you the day before. I, <laughs> I wasn't that I... desperate for friends. <laughs> Maybe I didn't self-invite. Maybe I did. I just crush your party. But I remember it was a really beautiful event. And uh, 
Yeah, so I guess I've introduced you. And I guess I want to ask you, I'm going to be in a time machine right now. Great. I love it. And my time machine is super awesome. And like, and it's a time machine, like beyond pre-COVID. <laughs> the time machine is, is not limited by space or time or, or geography. And it, it's t- totally a COVID free time machine. Perfect. So if I'm going to show up and you're in Bulgaria right now. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to go there. I really come, actually, come. maybe when it's warm out. It's, it's wonderful there. Yeah, it's it's not that cold here. I'm going to absolutely come visit you at some point this year. If I show up with my time machine and I say, Jessica, you do all this amazing art and activism. Take me back in the time machine. And, and the time machine can have multiple stopovers. Okay. Where do we go in the time machine when when I would learn, how did you get to be such a, arts-based, activist, world changer, community leader, Mm. general rock star? (laughs) I think, I think it really starts with the day of like, basically my diagnosis. It was January 4th, right? So it's like, I'm waiting over New Year's. There's this New Year's resolution tradition. And, you know, I was a workaholic. I still am. I, I still prioritize work and movement. But anyway, anyway, <laughs> before it was like I was a hairdresser and I would just give up. You used to work at the Kensington Market. Yeah, I totally did. I, I loved being a hairdresser. And it was really funny. Now I'm like segueing like forward. But at a certain point when I, I started doing like more human rights work, especially global stuff, my clients, my hairdressing clients were like, no, my hairdresser, she speaks at the UN. (laughs) (laughs) It's like so cool. I would love I became like, it was like this weird kind of funny world. And they all became like criminalization advocates and stuff. And they like, they volunteered at No Pants, No Problem. But anyway, that's like probably about like eight years after my diagnosis. I just remember it was New Year's and my resolution to myself was anything in life that I want to do, I'm going to do it. And that really kind of set me up in, it really changed the way that I looked at the world. I really thought, okay, because my doctor said, you're going to live for 20 years. If you're lucky, things are much better now. You're 20 years old. You're, so I was like, okay, 20 plus 20 is 40. <laughs> <laughs> so I can do math, simple math. And so I kind of assumed, okay, uh, maybe like 10 years, I'll be kind of, you know, a 20 year old, I can, I can do things, I can be kind of cute and have fun. And, and then so the final 10 years will go in and out of the hospital. And that's how I just constructed my life in my head. So I made this plan, I was like, well, if I have 10 years of being out and about and exploration, I've got a lot of stuff to fit into that time. <laughs> and this was 20, this was 20 years ago, right? <laughs> 20 years ago, two yeah. weeks ago. Yeah, wow. yeah, 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 exactly. And, and I was just kind of like, okay. And yeah, so my early 20s were in Montreal in like this kind of like queer art scene. And I was in these like bands, well, mostly like one with my, my like lover at the time. And it was just like, I just did all these like 
I was like, okay, yeah, that sounds like a ridiculous idea. I'm going to do it. Like I had a, a show called the Jessica Festica because <laughs> my some of my friends were like using me in their art pieces. And I was like, oh, what if we have a show like where everyone uses me as their muse? And so we turned one of like the dive bars into uh an art gallery for the night and like there was performance artists pretending to me it was just like purely ridiculous and I, I think like one of the newspapers I'd been in Montreal for like three or four years at that time and they said Montreal's legendary megalomaniac and I was like oh my gosh I've become a legend that's amazing such a short time <laughs> you, you truly are legendary still so yeah thank you thank you so so then yeah and then that's how really for instance like some of my longer term projects like no pants no problem they started at that exact time so 2004 a couple of years after you know I didn't just jump into like everything but that's when I started having these kind of like club nights I guess we can call them I was doing it with one of my lovers he would DJ and then I would kind of like create the event and the space and host it and then poorly DJ myself <laughs> um <laughs> but and and we just every single week we would have a different theme so one of them was bikini girls with machine guns <laughs> and their cramp song and everyone who came in would get a water gun like every so they were always like you make a small donation and then you would get like the prop for the night so uh. that one was a water gun and we'd have a water gun fight in the bar and then do they come loaded with water? Oh, you go to the bathroom. You know, it's like okay, so you make people gotta do a little bit of work. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And there was tiny, <laughs> right? It, it, but but then by yeah. the third one, people brought in giant soap or soakers and stuff. It was wild. And then there was one Kissarama, which is like really the place where like I first kind of started to explore. Kissarama and No Pants No Problem, they were kind of like really fused for me. And that was the first place I got to explore my own sexuality as a woman living with HIV and it's queer too right so it was like okay like how do I navigate disclosure and like queerness and all this stuff when you know it doesn't really feel safe for me to just hook up and go home with someone like other folks well almost every single one of my other friends was doing at that time early 20s everyone's just mm -hmm. you know getting drunk going home with someone sometimes regretting it sometimes not whatever it looks like it was really messy but that was never my reality and my reality was always like a kissing booth or on a dance floor or we used to convert the pool tables into giant spin the bottle games oh. because yeah it was amazing like oh my gosh like yeah you can go fuck someone or as I would do, I could kiss like 50 people in a night. <laughs> same thing, same high, same high, you know, without, without the complications of the next morning. <laughs> yeah. So I want you to describe what is the no pants, no problem. Like what is fundamentally. Okay, perfect. So this is a podcast around stigma and I want you to sort of like explain to the listener mm -hmm. why is something like no pants, no problem important, you know, today or in the past yeah currently and previously when we're thinking about stigma for me it's very clear so you know I had friends it didn't really ever happen to me but I had friends who they would hook up with someone and then get yelled at the next day or you know get the phone call because the other person didn't know or more likely didn't listen mm. right 
one of my friends said, the worst thing about disclosing is having to do it twice. So you disclose once when you might be like drunk or high at night. And then the next day, the person didn't really hear it. And that happened to me a couple of times. And, but the people in particular, I remember this one person was gracious enough that I don't even know gracious is like fair, but it was like, there was a language barrier, right? (laughs) I said one thing, maybe something else was understood because how could I possibly be talking about having HIV when I was this cute young white girl, Mm. right? Um, Yeah, so No Pants, No Problem basically started as a, a playground for me. It was like, okay, I need to create a space to explore my own sexuality that feels safe where I can have this buffer ground between where I don't have to disclose and so I can kind of play in this like sexy grinding up against people you know being pantless feeling awkward that that became part of the thing for me because you know people have a lot of hang-ups around their own bodies whether it's body image you know their gender identity HIV status their sexual desire and so I feel like in no pants, we were all kind of, maybe in that moment, I wasn't, I was thinking about myself. It wasn't totally like <laughs> altruistic, you know, <laughs> it was something that came later, but like, like this kind of analysis, but, but it became a space where like my first people that I was actually talking about disclosure and stigma and with, was my trans friends. Cause I didn't have any other like pause friends that identified as women but actually I didn't have any pause friends at that time so it was like well how do you tell how do you tell like (laughs) and it was just really amazing and that's where I had like connections first and so what happens no pants no problem you go to the door you take your pants off you put them in the pant check and if there's like British listeners that's trousers (laughs) you wear your underwear you wear your pants as in your underwear (laughs) it's a good qualification (laughs) yeah 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 well I guess it depends what club you're at but you know some have like different nudity rules but yeah and you put them in the pant check and then you you know most people kind of like do this thing where they like have a drink or two or hold it kind of like down their like crotch area against a wall for the first <laughs> 20 minutes but it's, it's really it's really amazing like and then always at no pants it's just you know party anthems like so the feeling is I try to recreate that feeling that when you're in your bedroom and you're all by yourself and you're getting ready to go out you may be half dressed you just got out of the shower you're you know, for me, it'd be putting on your makeup or putting on your favorite shirt and you're singing along to whatever delight Mm. or whatever. And you're just like, you feel your sexiest Mm. and no one is judging you. And that's the kind of feeling that I wanted to create in No Pants. Like, you know, let's just play all of the hits and like, just like create a space where everyone's just like, I remember I said, the the more words, the better. (laughs) (laughs) And then, so also there, there's like, you know, a kissing booth or kind of like these early teenage, there's something for me that maybe because I'm really attached to this, like this innocence of teenage sexuality and exploration. And that's where I got a bit like, I don't want to say stuck, but, but like I've had HIV since I was 20. So like, Mm -hmm. you know, I had to navigate things quite differently. And so 
this innocence of exploration is what I really also try to bring into No Pants. So kissing booths, spin the bottle games, like these, these really cute games. And it's really amazing when your friend who's grew up in or like still lives in rural Kenya is like playing spin the bottle and it's like never kissed anyone but her husband. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I kissed a girl. <laughs> so the listeners might, you know, have different information about stigma around HIV, but what you're, and I want you to maybe talk about that oh, yeah, too. Sorry, like, sorry. no, no, it's perfect. But I think that what you're saying is that the no pencil problem also kind of tries to break down barriers just around our own bodies and our mm-hmm. comfort in our bodies, our comfort with our sexuality, add like playfulness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so much stigma around sex. And you're right, especially for people living with HIV, for queer folks, for trans folks, for so many people there's been sort of a lot of different experiences and you're just trying to be like, actually let's have fun and and bring a, like a sex positive, like, you know, angle. I wonder if you could describe to the readers, (laughs) uh, the readers, the listeners, are you reading this podcast? Probably not the listeners. Maybe a transcript. (laughs) There could be. Make it accessible. This is true. And I actually have a wonderful team now making little videos and and, and writing like key points. There's an Instagram page, the Stigma podcast. But in, you know, if there's a listener who doesn't know much about HIV and they're like, oh, it's now 2022, is there still stigma? Like, is this still something? Do we still need a no, no pants, no problem? Or do we still need to think about people's experience disclosure? I think I know what you're going to say, but I'd love what you might say to somebody who's like, oh, wow, we're still thinking about this. How many years later? Yeah, I definitely think that it's still needed up until more recently than not. HIV criminalization in a Canadian context, which was my context for Mm -hmm. the majority of my time living with HIV, was a reality. My ex was charged and convicted of non-disclosure spent time in prison. He's an asshole, but I'm not saying he deserves to be there. Like that seems really extreme. Mm -hmm. Well, it's always interesting when like these podcasts, you just open your mouth and you start going down like a journey. But anyway, he ended up also committing suicide. That that's also like a reality. So I actually, for most people living with HIV, even in a Canadian context, like everyone I know who's died of AIDS has been, well, I guess now COVID, but also suicide. And it's like the mental burden of losing your family, losing your community, losing your lovers, not feeling desirable, not feeling like you fit in, maybe not being able to get the job you want. All because of stigma yeah, it's and discrimination. All, all because of that. And, you know, people always talk about self-stigma. Yeah, that's a thing, but it's rooted somewhere. And it's rooted in the Absolutely. societal realities. Like, it's, I, I can't stand it when people just look at like, internalized stigma, whether it's internalized homophobia or yeah. internalized HIV stigma or internalized racism. Nobody wakes up with an internalized stigma. Yeah. That, that is that is what is produced in the world you exactly. live in, the media, the news, like everything, the TV. And then that, of course, it gets under your skin if you're swimming in it, yeah. right? You're swimming in a sea of stigma. Yeah, it's going to get in your your nose and your mouth, it's going to get inside of you, but it's coming from somewhere. Yeah, totally, totally. So I think like some of the most beautiful moments I've seen at a no pants, no problem, you know, like I remember in Melbourne, there was like a group from Cameroon that was there and it was just like so amazing. And for some of the groups where 
you know, sure, HIV is stigmatized, but then it's amplified by anti-homophobia uh, kind of rhetoric and laws, anti-trans, anti-sex work, mm-hmm. stuff around substance use. No pants can, especially at, like when, when they were at the International AIDS Conference. I love that conference. Like they have to be in a certain time and place. Yeah, like like when it was in Amsterdam, it was just kind of like this pairing not even pairing it was like all these universes coming together and I remember I don't even know which one it was maybe 2016 or something I was asking the other global networks like the MSM and like sex worker and I was like oh are you having because everyone used to have their own different parties and they're like oh no you're gonna have no pants we'll just all come there (sighs) and it was just like so incredible it was just like all of the different community groups that kind of are part of the, like, I'm not saying this is like this, like utopia of intersectionality and practice, but maybe. (laughs) And it was just like, it was great. It was like, it was just really, yeah, just really lovely. And like some people who live in really criminalized context, it was just really, it's, it's really, really beautiful seeing them just even for like a few hours have this really free moment and holding that in a little capsule of themselves when they get to go back home, you know? And I think I am like really bad at documenting the party and maybe it shouldn't be documented with photos, but it definitely lives in people's stories. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether it's like some weird kiss you had at no pants or, you know, being attracted to a different gendered person that you never thought was possible. Like, I can't even tell you how many gay men who have never touched like a cis woman body before are like, I would like to have sex with you. Like, I'm like, they're like, I feel weird, but I'm like, I'm like, and it just lasts in that moment. (laughs) But it's just, it's just really like, there's something really special and yeah, I do think in, in terms of stigma that like it is important. And there was an article, I believe it was in Bitch Magazine, where it talked about it being, you know, a feminist party, which I definitely believe, and the power of fighting stigma with your pants off. Ah. And and it, it was it was great. It was great. It's one of my favorite, but it's like, yeah, we can we can do this work in different ways. It doesn't always need to be changing policy. That's good, but then we have to like, how do we turn it into practice? And the practice is the by doing and showing different ways of being able to do things. Yeah, having people express joy in a different way, mm-hmm. express affection, sexuality, it's just all unraveling, you know, these mm-hmm. these sort of like, stereotypes maybe that or or just boxes that we're living in yeah I I want you to talk about so one of the the main questions we ask on this podcast which I think is like made for you (laughs) what can the listeners do to be part of the solution and this podcast is launching in February to commemorate, to celebrate Love Positive Women. So I'm wondering if you want, maybe want to talk about what is Love Positive Women? Why did you start it? How rad it is? And then what the listeners can do to support Love Positive Women. If you if you want to, I don't want to tell you exactly what to talk about, no. but I know this is a passion project. <laughs> of course. So many of my talks I do, I have your Love Positive Women logo. And I any talk I'm ever doing for like, 
radical community support. I'm like support love pause of women. So I'm always like promoting it. Amazing. Amazing. No. So, okay. Just for the, the listeners. So love positive women. This is actually the 10th year, which is incredible. Woo-hoo! Started Thanks. as an idea. I'm really interested in long-term projects because I think social change work or any kind of like community work takes a long time. So I'm not interested in like one-offs. I'm always like, I'm, I'm like a really annoying person to work on your like team. If you, if you're in an organization, because I think like long-term project, like I'm like, Oh, five year, we need to continue with multiple workshops. I love that. <laughs> and they're like, we have funding for one. <laughs> Donors must hate me. But anyway, so love positive women is a holiday holiday because it's that's first what the women in Jamaica said and that's what it became after I think it was like the second year when they said this is my favorite holiday of the year so I'm like that's what it is (laughs) so it basically started just as an idea how do we I want to create a special time to celebrate and amplify women living with HIV so it was in conceptualized in 2012 implemented in 2013 so the first to the 14th of february each year so it's two weeks great it's uh, a time for if you are a woman living with hiv or someone who you know feels like love positive women um, is for them so gender diverse more than welcome uh, to celebrate um then how are you going to love yourself and your sisters and if you're an ally lover whatever, how are you going to show the women living with HIV in your life, in your community, that you see them and you care for them? So, you know, it started off really like humbly with people having like, I remember one of the first ones was in, I think it was like Prince George or something and like Northern BC and one of the young girls, she had like a a film night with a couple like friends and another one was in San Diego had a makeover nice they did like glamour shots nice yeah I baked cookies and I think I brought them to the AIDS community Toronto you know like it was really small and then the next year people started to make cards and then basically when visual aids visual aids archives the work of artists living with HIV once they like I worked with them for them to implement a project. And that's when I think it kind of took off because that project in particular, well, that project is like heavily funded, but they started working with artists, some very fancy in New York, activists and women living with HIV to make handmade paper cards, like art pieces to send out to women in in all the different countries. It went from one workshop to now, don't count COVID times, but but it was two days, three workshops a day. They made like over a thousand wow. of these. Yeah. And it was it's just like so incredible. So, you know, WHO has put out statements or or like UNAIDS, but the most and they should, because if they want to support grassroots movements, this is as grassroots as it gets, because you know every year now there's a hundred plus different projects mostly done and led by small groups of women living with HIV whether it be you know in Malaysia like this is very long ago but one one of the women brought the children of of women who were incarcerated 
to visit as a surprise. Oh, nice. Like, of it. like that's amazing. Or like in Nepal, they knit scarves. Like people put their money together. It's not like none of these groups have funding. And it's like they knit scarves and they brought these giant like 10 kilo bags of rice to these senior women. And it's just like, I got an email. Normally I try to like link people, but there was an email from a group of trans women in Dominica. And so I, I linked them with visual aids, but then I also reached out to one of a youth group that I know in Puerto Rico and was like, Hey, can you do something? There's this group and they're feeling really disconnected, you know, being trans and living with HIV and it's, they're having some struggles and they, they had like a soap making workshop and like did it in the colors of the flag and like wrote them letters in Spanish and like sent them over. It's like just a surprise. And, and then, so the next year that group made like a video and they made cards for each other. And so I think that's so awesome. It's just really amazing. And one of my favorite stories was, so every year, so I kind of, you're like the magician that connects all of the magic. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I don't like, like I don't really have like ownership because I think it's kind of like World AIDS Day or like you know International Breastfeeding Week. It's just like a thing that happens, or maybe 16 days of activism. That's two weeks, but it's like like UN Women kind of like holds a little bit, and then everyone just does. It's not like they're directing; they just kind of like kind of have a space. And there's like a Facebook page or like a Instagram. It's really hard for me, but <laughs> but it just happens. Can I tell you my two memories of Love Pause mm-hmm. Women? One of them is you told me and I and you shared a photo of this and I think I tried to share it and describe Love Pause Women. And I might be getting it backwards, but I think a group of women um, living with HIV in Jamaica made a quilt for some women in Russia. Yeah. And then they wrote something in Russian. They actually quilted like a, a like a message in Russian. That's that's pretty close. It was me who made that quilt because every year I do. <laughs> no, no, no. But I wasn't Jamaica. So this is what happened. That's also one for me too, because that was like a game changer for women in Eastern Europe, Central Asia participating. So, you know, language is a huge barrier in the HIV response. So every year, so I orchestrate the whole thing, but every year I have my, my own like personal project. And this year I wrote Lubit Positivne Zhenshin, which is like love positive women in Russian. And I and I stitched this quilt and or like a banner. And my idea was to have people hold it and I would share the image. So I was in Jamaica with, I don't know, there was like, like the whole group of the Jamaican community of women. And we we're doing this like fun movement, feminist movement building workshop. And they're like, we wanna hold the, the quilt and let's take a picture. So we took the picture. It's like all these beautiful black women. They're holding the Lubit Positive Nation. And then we post it. And within three days, a group in Ukraine had kind of made a, like a mirror quilt oh and held gosh. it and posted it back. I'm getting the tingles now because they're like, oh my goodness, you know? And then then there was like a group in Russia, another group in Ukraine and Kazakhstan. Like it was just like so incredible because, and they said, they're like, you know, we, we felt like seen and heard by some of our sisters that like, and they're like, we're never included. And it was just like this really, I don't know, it was such a powerful moment yeah, it, for me, that was just like, I, I remember seeing that that copy quilt and just like crying because I was like, 
oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this is so call and response. And their feelings, yes, yes. Globally, we're, it's so, so many barriers from geography and language, but people are like, yeah, it's so nice. It was beautiful. It was so beautiful. And also just to say that that same group in Jamaica, it was so cute that time because the young women, their project was they made a spa day because we were all together and they made like facial scrubs and like so to all the other women they were like you can have one treatment and they made a thing these are the services you can get and it was like like that's the grassrootsness of it you know they like on a piece of of chart paper we had for the workshop they wrote spa treatments they're like face scrub foot massage and they invited everyone <laughs> to have one and it was just so it's like doing it with nothing and for I'd say 90% of the groups that's what it is so I know I wanted you to tell us because I love this so much how the, the listeners yeah. can support I know one thing that you did which was my second memory that I'll never forget which was I was in Swaziland and now Eswatini with a great colleague. I remember It was that. actually the last time I did not know that I would see them because they passed away a few months later. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, but we had this hilarious time doing a selfie and it was pitch black outside and there was no power. And I was like, we have to do a love positive woman selfie. Was <laughs> this whole thing. But it was just this like fun moment where I got to do this with this amazing LGBT activist, Malume Mabuza from Rock of Hope, who... Little did I know that'd be the last time I saw them, but passed away suddenly after that. So I also have this memory of of trying to take part in it and being like dark and like like so. I 100% remember that picture. I think I've like reposted a couple uh, times over the years. So, uh, yeah. so how can people? Yeah, like so. Why even like commissioned this engagement guide at one point so if you want to look that up there's right I can put it I can put the link <laughs> in the podcast so people can click on the link yeah 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 so so the women oh what does why even stand for again the women's uh HIV AIDS initiative Ontario like they have there's 17 different groups and they all participate they're like it's part of their programming I think if you're an organization that's like the baseline you can do <laughs> but they really role model like how to do it and just like not get stressed out because lots of organizations are like, oh, do we have budget for this? It's like, relax. You already have programming, feed it in, put it on your calendar and just do it. Same as World AIDS Day, pick a day, do a something, not a big deal. Like <laughs> if you have a women's like drop in, have a special like one that happens at the exact same time you're going to do it. And really focus on women, you know, maybe focus on trans women or like, you know, the last uh, two years, some folks have been focusing on, you know, black women living with HIV because it's also black history month, you know, so which I think mm. is a beautiful pairing. Yeah. So, so if you're an organization, you should just put it into like your calendar and just do something. You can have like card making, you can have like a special lunch. You can, you can do free things where you all sit around the table and you say one word of affirmation about each woman living with HIV in the room. So you've described a lot that organizations can do, but imagine in that the listener is walking their dog right now in the snow or maybe in a very hot place. They're lounging on the beach. Depending on where the yeah. listener is. Yeah. What can they do? 
that's easy. So if you're a woman living with HIV, treat yourself. If you're a partner, I can tell you all the cute things my partner's ever done for me. One of them was he, he set up like the kids with their cars and he wrote with the kids in the cars, love positive women and the kids pose beside it. Cute. I saw that picture. It's Made me cry. So Always cute. makes me cry. All these things. You, you throw a kid into anything and all the pause moms will cry. <laughs> if you're not a mom, it's fine. Um, <laughs> but you can, you can do something for yourself. You can go get a massage. You can write yourself a love letter. You know, most, like I have other sisters in the movement. You know, one of my favorite projects that I ever did was for three well, they're not girls so much, younger women who are now older, I guess, born with HIV, who had lost their mothers. I stitched them a tiny quilt, like with their mother's name on it, wow. like a very small thing. And I wrote them a letter telling them how proud I was of them and how amazing they were and how much their mother would have been proud and how happy I was that their mother brought them into this world and just was really trying to kind of, you know, celebrate their mother at the same time as celebrating them. And I just really wanted them to know that not only am I proud, but their, their ancestors are also proud of them. And wow, you're gonna make me cry. It's <laughs> so beautiful. I did not know you were such a quilter. Yeah. So thoughtful. More like banner making, but like, and I was just kind of like, I don't know, you can just you can just do simple things for people. So for instance, you know, like a group in East Watini, I know they're doing it this year game, but they just had like a little party. They just got together and had some balloons and some drinks. And they also, sh this happens a lot, but you know, I have precious in my mind right now. So she just sent me the other day, they put a little sign and some cards and some hearts and it just says love positive women in their office. Nice. And it just changes the mood. And I remember in Nigeria too, like this one group, this really rural group, they're like, I was like, you can do something with nothing. If you have a piece of paper, you can, you know, make a heart or write love positive women. And they, they basically tore a piece of paper and then all, like, it was like this little, I can't, I'm showing you like a quarter piece of paper and they wrote it in pen and then they stuck it with a pin on the door. And I was like, that is the sweetest thing ever. And everyone kind of like knew or would engage in the conversation mm. in a different way. And then they had this candle making workshop oh. and it was just like, yeah, like all of these things, you can do them for like nothing, no money or some money or, and, and many people just like come together and they're like, so for example, this year for the 10th anniversary, my project that I wanted to do, I've always dreamed of doing like a micro grants project. I've been doing like this work or engaging in community for such a long time. I know that like how a hundred dollars or, you know, $500 can make like a huge impact. And mm -hmm. many folks can do a lot with it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so that's my project. And I like fundraise. Love Positive Woman, everybody. You can take part in this. You can support Love Positive Woman. You can learn more about it on Jessica's website and mm -hmm. So I or follow like love positive women on Facebook, on Instagram, or like hashtag love positive women. And you'll see it's like now. So, or like February 1st, like basically mid January things start to happening. Great. So this is going to be launched right in time for two weeks of love positive women. So I really hope that 
the listeners will have the joy of taking part social media, real life activism, learning, reading stories. You are so awesome. I was going to say, look out for like a project this year too, called like Dear Mom, that um, the young young women in the Lack region are doing. It's like, whew, I expect it will be a good one. Oh, great. So follow That's... like Dear Mom on like, see what comes up. But if you Hashtag see a bunch of letters, yeah, if you see a bunch of letters that's you know, or people crying when you're reading these letters, then you'll know it's probably the project. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that one of your projects? It's not my project. Oh, okay. It's, it's not it's, one of the love pause women. It's like a- it, it is. It is the one of the ones getting funded, but right. um, it just I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm a mom now, but it's like anything to do with like kids, like telling their moms how important they are and they love them, or like the stuff is just really like. Oh. <laughs> That's so awesome. I'm so thankful you came on the podcast. I know we're almost at time and I have a few wild cards I Go. need to get. So before we get to the wild cards, I don't think there's anything that you haven't said to engage people in Love Pause Women, but is there any last words you want to say about <laughs> stigma or Love Pause Women before the wild cards? Or... No, but I think, I think like, you know, if I'm going to tie them all in, like, you know, so many women have written to me over the years and said that even if the events or they're not directly connected in their own communities, seeing others role model, being like an awesome mom who cares, being an awesome partner, being an awesome friend, being part of a caring and loving community is helpful for them. So many of them have written about their bouts with depression you know, losses in their own friendship circle to like suicide, death of loved ones. And so love positive women, you know, I don't think it's the be all end all for people, but I think it can give a little bit of hope. And one of the women, for instance, from New York City, Joyce McDonald, who is an artist, and she's like, amazing, check her out. But she has this video that she shares every year around the visual, she always participates now in the visual aids card making. And she talks about just having a really hard time. And one day, this like card came in the mail out of nowhere. And it just says, I love you. And she was like, someone loves me. And, Mm. you know, she said that it was just like a game changer for her. And, you know, she tells it much better. And it's just like, yeah, and she's participated ever since. And she's like, no, it's the thing I do every year because I know the impact it had on me to receive a card and just to feel loved. And so I want to like give that to someone else. So oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah. So even if you feel disconnected, just like even sharing it, because there might be someone in your own network that you don't even know, because many people don't even don't even tell others because they don't feel safe. And that's because of the stigma, right? Like when people are like, I don't know any people living with HIV. Mm, I lived in Kyrgyzstan for three years. I told like two people there, even though I'm very open about my HIV status, because I didn't feel at all safe. Mm-hmm. And so I knew the one person at the time who's openly living with HIV and, you know, her stories about her, her kids being kicked out of school, you know, then, and, and just like the realities of her neighbors, not wanting to talk to her 
or being that kind of like stigma, you know, in a Canadian context or like North American context, or let's say Western context, like it can be quite different, but there's many places in the world that stigma is alive and real. And it was wild to mm -hmm. think that in 2019, when she was like, I'm the first person to go on media last year and be open about my HIV status. I've been out for 20 years before that. And there was many, many people out before me. And it's just, yeah. So some, not even some, many places, rural communities, it's, it's inescapable. And I think these little gestures of love and kind of pushing back against stigma are so, so important. I've always said like my family and friends have made my life so I've never I have experienced stigma but I'm so resilient to it that it's it feels okay but it's because for 10 plus years the first time I really ever had a situation where I was like kicked out of a place it was like my partner's aunt it was like about 10 12 years into me living with HIV and I'd been so surrounded by a bubble of love hmm my friends and family, they're my street team. So I'm not talking to like, you know, the soccer mom in the suburbs, my sister was, mm. or my grandma talking about like HIV in the seniors home, like, you know, like, so they kind of like made space for me. And I think that's what others can do via love positive women or just like via every single day of their life. <laughs> totally. Like we all have a role to play in, first educating ourselves and looking at our own biases and our own misinformation about HIV. And then secondly, like addressing that every single moment we can don't put the burden of like reducing stigma on people who are experiencing it yeah. or, or challenging it every day. Like it's, it's also for everybody who has more access to power and privilege to do the educating of yourselves and, and sharing that information. So you're just so awesome. I am so pleased awesome. <laughs> that you are here. Um, What's the wild so, card question? Okay, the wild card question. Yeah. Uh, what are you watching on? I don't know what you have. Do you have Netflix? Craig? Oh, Google? yeah. Do you have anything? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so I, <laughs> I like I love fantasy and stuff. And I just finished The Witcher. The Witcher? Is that scary? I don't watch scary things. But no, it like it's, it's more like it's more like Game of Thrones oh, okay. kind I've of. I've never seen Game of Thrones. The, what? No, I felt oh, like it was yeah. like a lot of like hetero violence. I but maybe I just didn't really know because I haven't watched it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. I, I but, watched like <laughs> Drag Race, Shit's Creek, like Queer Eye. That's yeah, yeah. Those also all very good, all very good. But if you just ask me what I just watched, The Witcher. It's, uh, the Witcher, yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. It's a bit more fantasy, more like monster. Well, no, yeah, more like monsters and like I don't witches know. <laughs> and like I like that stuff, like Lord of the Rings kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah. sounds cool. Okay. And it's less time. It demands less time than some of the other ones that are like into their like sixth or seventh season. You're like, oh, two? Oh, that's only 20 hours. Great. Yeah, I totally, <laughs> I totally am afraid of getting like locked into something. That's a weekend. Okay. The second wild card is <laughs> okay. what's your karaoke song? Oh, that's easy. That's Queen, I Want to Break Free. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah, yeah. And, and also just a tiny, tiny story about that. So 
my first introduction to like the world of AIDS was the death of Freddie Mercury. I remember driving in the car with my dad and him dying and actually like gayness too that actually came at the same time um and I was 11 and I was just crying you know we watched the concert and then like 10 years later I tested positive so it was kind of like really interesting yeah so he's always been my dream date like if I had to choose and then um so I at the no pants no problem in Melbourne I had to like a performance of I Want to Break Free and I gave out like, were you there? No, I was at the one in Durban and Amsterdam. I don't know why not Melbourne. I don't know if I knew about it or. This moment, it was so amazing. So we gave out all these song sheets to I Want to Break Free and there was like 800 people like singing from around the world. I want to break free. I want to break free. And then, so it was like, Freddie like with the vacuum and drag and leather daddy Freddie like singing and their body surfing and it was just like uh, amazing that was like a highlight of my whole entire life till I die that is amazing I I think we need to replicate that at the next one in Montreal yeah. in 2022 that's going to be the final one just so oh. if 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 it happens I want to have the final one because I wanted to end it and like have a like it's proper going away. So it's perfect if it ends in Montreal because it started in Montreal. Yeah, it, with it, I like the idea of everyone singing something really like uplifting. Mm. It's like so cool. Okay, and the very, 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 very last question is, is there any words of wisdom or advice that have helped you in your journey that you want to share with the listeners? Hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't get Darian Taylor out of my head, but it was really like, get out. <laughs> And I didn't listen to it. I didn't listen to it. But anyway, so I think as a person, the advice is get out. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like leave the movement. Um, oh. but like <laughs> in in hindsight, I think it was really helpful. Like I've always, she's like, I warned you. So the reason I think it was really helpful was because for me, one of the mistakes I made was I made the movement, the HIV movement and my work, my life. And I made it my everything for a very long time. And when I had a bit of an issue, when when you merge your life and your work and you're thinking about nothing but how you're a constituency of, of like a movement and then like it was so hard. And so when I had difficulties, you know, after the kids were born, we lost funding. I had postpartum depression. I was trying to breastfeed and it was like, Mm, let's just say not so legal in a Canadian context. There was like so many risks involved. I I lost my job. Like I, I felt very alone, but I had given like, I was like, what? Like, I was like, I'm advocating for women to breastfeed and doing all this stuff. And I was like, wait, but what do I want? Like, I wanted to do those things, but I don't need to be an advocate 24 seven, every single day of my life my partner was like well what do you what do you love what do you like like who are you and I was like Mm. I don't you know it's it's been taking me like a lot of years to like kind of carve out stuff that isn't just about HIV and it only has been happening actually like since the kids like okay let's take two or three of those years and they're five now (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe they're five (laughs) but it was really hard like it was like basically like if I don't have the movement then what do I have Mm -hmm. and you know so and Darian is like my community mother she's she's a mentor to me 
has been living with HIV for, you know, a generation more than me, which we always say, like, she's like, oh, I got it a bit too early. <laughs> I want to come have fun with you. But it's, yeah, so this, my advice would be similar to hers. It's just kind of like, for those of you who are doing this work, find like a happy balance and make sure that you have other things in your life mm. that you can celebrate. And your whole life is not about your HIV status. It like, it does define you in a way, but you can also be defined by other things. That's why we have intersecting identities. <laughs> and also not just to be like, maybe what you're saying also is to find out who you are other than your work, you know, or your activism, like to find 100%. other things that bring you joy and connection and love with yourself and others. Yeah, Cause I do think a lot of us who do social justice work get, it, it can take over everything. It can, you know. 100%, 100%. And it's like, you know, I'm really interested these days in transition. So it's like when you transition to different parts in your life, whether it's like youth, act, like I find youth, like youth activists to, mm. well, when you become from 29 to 30, like that's a hard time because, you know, I experienced it myself, but I see a lot of like young people they become young superstars. And then when you become 30, 31, then people are like, mm, you're not young anymore. So we need to, you know, find ourselves a fresh new 25 year old to, to mentor and build up skills and then drop when they're 30. Totally. But also like, I know so many like older women in particular who are activists and they're, I remember this one woman very clearly and then all the women started talking about it she was 62 and she was like someone's like are you retiring we're in Portugal for this feminist convenience she's like I can't retire I've spent my whole life I don't have anything I spent my whole life chasing and doing activism and doing these piecemeal contracts and consultancies like I have nothing I never planned for the future and so it's I'm really interested in okay, how do we kind of like change that narrative and help people through these transitions? And I think just tying it back to stigma and stuff as well, I think these are kind of for many of like the activists who have, you know, stigma woven into their lives. It's really hard to plan for the future when you're really living in the now and not knowing what's going to happen mm -hmm. day to day. And if you can just all the energy you have just focusing on being able to wake up tomorrow. It's like all you can do. Right. So mm -hmm. that was a very long way of answering your last fun question that I made not fun, but <laughs> no, but I think you, you did, you said like, find who you are beyond the work in the, in the struggle. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, because you're like, there's something else and, and you can't just be defined by one thing and also like plan for your future. Like that's also a really good, that's yeah. really good. Yeah, yeah. You gave us some really good wisdom. Thank <laughs> you. I just want to say, I'm going to have um, attached to the podcast in your bio, some links to your website, Love Positive Women and some other resources you're going to give me. And I just want to say, thank you so much. You are truly one of the most incredible people I've ever met. And I'm always <laughs> holding you up as an example of somebody who has like a single person has like sparked so much change globally. You're just phenomenal. Thank you so much. And thank you, thank you, thank you for like, you know, 
chasing me down to be here. It was like absolutely like wonderful. And I'm like so happy to have done it. Amazing. And if, if and just reconnect with you. I miss you. I miss you too. <laughs> and, and you know, maybe we'll have this would be an annual La Paz of Women podcast. You know, you never know. Let's do it. Let's do it. And we can bring some of the other ladies on next time. That'd be great. Thank you for listening to Everybody Hates Me, Let's Talk About Stigma, hosted by Dr. Carmen Logie. Join us again for more conversations with stigma experts from around the globe. Feel